Hello, Originals. One of the things I really love about the church, when the church is functioning well, is that we get to make space for each other and build relationships. I think even when people come and are guests in our fellowship, whether it be in a small group or in a large gathering, there's a certain kind of expectation that we have about life in uh, relationship to others and to each other. Uh, sometimes people may expect that they could come and just be anonymous. And so the pandemic and our experiences of just watching sure have helped with that. But at the same time, we all are maybe longing for some experiences of community where it's welcoming, hospitable, non-judgmental, hopeful, and even generous, where there's a willingness to meet each other and learn a little bit about each other and maybe have the space and opportunity for deeper friendship and life together. Do you know, this is a challenge for us, not just in church, but also in our general society, in our city and on our campuses. Because a lot of us are being conditioned to this idea that we should be able to choose who's close to us in our lives. And that if there's somebody who is a negative energy kind of person, then we eliminate them from our life. We want to be free to control our circle and build our bubble. Well, bubbles. In fact, during the pandemic, we've been encouraged to keep to a very small bubble, to be particular and selective. I think we're going to have some challenges even when we look at life together after the pandemic about how are we going to be church? How are we going to be a good community? How are we going to be a community that cultivates goodness in our lives together? It's really not going to be accomplished by just being selective and eliminating those who require more energy from us or who have negative energy. Because the truth is we're all negative energy people at some point. But James, in the book of James, is presenting God's word to us about what it's like to be the community of Jesus. And he tells us that this kind of favoritism, this kind of discrimination, isn't supposed to be a part of our lives, particularly in a stratified society between the rich and the poor, between the insider and the outsider, between the powerful and the not-so-powerful. So follow along with me as I read in James chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. James writes, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. 
Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What a wonderful word to the community. There, James must have already discerned something that was happening in the life of God's people, that as brothers and sisters, they were indeed showing favoritism. And he says, this is not appropriate. This must not be for believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Let's reflect on Jesus, who left the throne of heaven, took up the form of a child, a child who was born in a stable. Isaiah says of Jesus, he grew up before God like a tender shoot and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. This, in fact, is the temptation of how one might treat the poor, and we might consider and have considered Jesus extremely poor. He wasn't in the religious center of life in Jerusalem. Instead, he was from the outskirts. He was an outsider to the power house of Israel. And so the glory of God was actually contained in this child and in this man. The glory of God, the one who saved us and who reveals God and is God, went from cradle to the cross, from the manger to the majesty of heaven. But his glory, his glory was shown at the cross. For there he shows us truly who God is. And how God loves us. And so, he who became poor for our sakes must rule the way we think about others and act and speak, even those who are also poor. We must not have favoritism. For what was done to Jesus, we are not to do to others. We are not to have such favoritism that we elevate and honor the rich over the poor. That we're looking for the one who can do something for us over one who appears to not be able to do something for us. Relationships in the kingdom of God are not to be marked by such transactional thinking or behaviors. 
What's the problem with favoritism? What's the problem with such partiality? As James describes it, there's three issues. This kind of favoritism causes us to be judgers. And now we know, and there have been recent polls done that says that people are actually looking for friends and others who are not judgers. But what did James mean by that? Notice what he says. If you see a rich man and you say, here, have a good seat, and you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit at my feet. He says, we actually are discriminating among ourselves and have become judges with evil thoughts. The word that James uses here in regards to the poor is that this man was wearing filthy clothes. And the word filthy there actually has an undertone of morality, as if because this man was wearing filthy clothes, his heart and soul was also filthy. There is a tendency for us to treat others as if the rich are good and the poor are bad, as if the rich have demonstrated always some sort of initiative and goodness of their own that's being award, rewarded by God and society, and that the poor are somehow immoral and unwanted. James says we become judges then, judges with evil thoughts. The second thing is that we become users. Not only are we judges when such favoritism or partiality marks our fellowship and life, he says we become users and exploiters of the poor. When he says, sit on the floor by my feet, he's using a, a term that speaks of the conqueror who uses those he conquered as a footstool. Sit under my feet. And that way we begin to use the poor and abuse the poor. And James goes on to say it's the rich who are exploiting you. So why would you do that to others? Notice what he says, you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? James is saying, look, there are those who are able to afford to pay for justice. But you're not to be like them in your treatment towards the poor. Do not become a user of others. In fact, he says, look, God has chosen the poor in order to bless them and give them an inheritance. This is a theme that James introduces in chapter 1 when he says believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossoms falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. James encourages us not to become like the wicked who use the poor. But the third problem that he sees with favoritism is that we actually do become lawbreakers. We become sinners. Lawbreakers of the royal law. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. 
And then he goes on to say that if we break even one point of the law, we become a law breaker. We might argue, hey, favoritism isn't all that bad. What sin am I breaking? I haven't committed adultery. I haven't murdered. But James's point is that if we break one point of the law, we are guilty of it all. We become a lawbreaker. We become a sinner. And God had been insistent within the scripture that we not show partiality towards the rich or favoritism towards the rich, but instead we would love our neighbor as ourselves. Our neighbor is the one who is in need. Our neighbor is the one who shares space and life with us. But that's difficult for us, not just during the pandemic, but in our stratified UBC and Camp uh, Vancouver life. For many of us, not all of us, but for many of us, we live in a very segmented kind of life. My friend Ariel, having come to Vancouver, found it so shocking that her life was quickly isolated from the poor. She said this was not how she had lived before, but her, her life had been very much inclusive in a daily way. But here we find ourselves in a transactional life that's separate and keeps our spaces apart from others. Unless we make choices. In good community, we make choices. We choose to limit ourselves. We choose to include and relate to others. We choose to listen and receive what even the poor who have received Jesus and who are therefore rich in the kingdom of God might have to say and share to us in the gift and ministry of the Spirit and His Word. We do not discriminate. We expect that God can work. The remedy that sets us on this path is what James calls mercy. Notice what he says in verse 12. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He says, one, we're to speak and act as one who is going to be judged. We know that we need mercy because we're going to be judged by God who set this law. We're going to be judged by the one who uh, died on the cross and was raised again. And that Jesus himself has been raised in order now to be our judge, the judge who paid the price. And so we want to speak and act as one who needs mercy, who's going to be judged and found wanting. And the second thing James says there is that this reveals truth to us. I have been mercied, and therefore I can mercy others. Jesus told a parable of an unmerciful servant when he wanted to convey what it was like to forgive. Having been forgiven, we are to forgive. Having been received, we are to receive others. Having been accepted, we are to accept others. I didn't receive what I deserved. Instead, I have received a warm welcome into the kingdom of God. And I am to extend that to others impartially. Whether rich 
or poor, foreigner or citizen. I am to extend that kind of grace to another because I have been mercied. To set ourselves on this path, I believe, requires us to, at times, to limit ourselves in order to create space for others. The first way that we might limit ourselves is to refuse conspicuous consumption. Francis of Assisi knew that as the one who was to inherit his father's wealth, he could not, he felt, live out the life of Christ if he was to just um, limit himself by living according to the demands of his father. For every time that Francis was generous in giving the clothes and the fabrics that his father had in his business had crafted, his father became very, very angry. And so Francis of Assisi gave it all away. He relinquished his inheritance in order that he might accept people into his life and enter fully into the riches of Jesus's calling on his life. We must find ways to limit ourselves from conspicuous consumption so that we might be able to do the second thing, and that is to choose to include and relate to others impartially with the full expectation that whether one is rich Having humbled themselves before God, they have the riches of the kingdom to offer us. And whether one had been poor, now having received the riches of the kingdom and have been elevated in their life with Jesus, that we all together stand on level ground at the foot of the cross. And so now this law that gives freedom is the Jesus who fulfilled the law, who gives freedom that we might truly live as his people and include others and see all the goodness of God's diverse creative work brought to bear in our lives. What good community can be born when we choose those awkward moments of getting to know and relating to another. Instead of sending a person away into another seat, we enter and draw close to them so that we might get to know them and to see how Jesus would work in our lives together.